will you turn to Revelation chapter 14? I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Heaven's Final Call. Heaven's Final Call. We'll be considering today Revelation 14, verses 6 through 13. Revelation 14, 6 through 13. Now, perhaps to put us back into where we are and what is happening, back to the first verse of this entire book, we find that John the Apostle is given a revelation to show to him the things that must soon take place. There are certain things that must happen in the future. And this book is telling us what those future necessary things are. In chapter 1, we see Jesus Christ exalted. And I told you, ever after studying through the beginning of Revelation, it brings a new thought to the Christmas time. When we often think of Jesus Christ as a baby in a manger, you have a powerful picture of where Christ is now exalted given to us in Revelation 1. And for now, we have the letters to the seven churches of what Christ expects of His church. And He goes through in each one of those letters, giving a message specifically tailored to each church of what He expects, because He is the one who walks among the lampstands. He walks among His churches. He is the head of the church. And as we go on into chapters 4 and following, we find a jump forward. After this I looked, and behold, the door standing in heaven. John moves on from the letters to the seven churches to a scene in heaven. And what that scene is to show us is that God is ruling and reigning in heaven. Yet in chapter 5, we find that one day the Lamb we will see standing. And he will go and take the scroll from his father, and from that moment on, he will open the seals of that scroll, and he will begin to judge the world in accordance with God's will. So often we think of Christ seated in heaven right now on the, right, on the throne at the right of his father, and indeed that's correct. As we get to the book of Revelation, we do not see Christ reigning and ruling as much as we see Him standing and acting for His people. He is reclaiming the earth for Himself because it's rightfully His. So in chapters 4 and following, we see Christ is reclaiming the earth from the world who are usurpers. They don't have claim to the earth. So what we found is a lot of judgment, but every once in a while we have kind of an interruption to the story, and we find, well, what's happening to God's people? Well, we find that some are sealed. We find that some are with God in heaven. And we go from judgment back and forth, and, and we've seen an angel standing in chapter 10 who's declaring on Christ's behalf authority over land and sea, over all creation, and we have the declaration that the time is going to be up with the seventh trumpet is going to be the fulfillment of all the mysteries of God. And then to set up the stage of this great conflict, we've had a few chapters that talked about the powers of evil. We've seen the dragon. We've seen the beast, who is the Antichrist. We've seen the second beast, who is the false prophet. That's chapters 12 and 13. And what that is to show us is we're setting up an epic between Christ and the devil and the false prophet and the Antichrist. And the powers are going to 
war against one another. We got to chapter 14, and we see Christ standing again, and He's standing in victory with His people. And that's a picture of what we can hope for one day. That's where we found ourselves in this study. It's going to show us that Christ is going to reclaim the earth. He's going to get glory for Himself as He does so. Let's consider today verses 6 through 13, heaven's final call. Let's all pray. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, may we see you high and lifted up because this passage magnifies you. And we ask that we would be impressed by the truths that we learn about you today, that we would be challenged to respond rightly in accordance with what you've stated so plainly for us. We ask that each would get a blessing today as they carefully listen And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Going to find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be Good. During Christmas time, there are a lot of fun songs that are sung. And sometimes we don't exactly think about everything that we're saying. So, just for a moment, enter into my world and let's exposit this song together. Very simply stated, the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, is an announcement. Santa's coming. And that announcement, <clears throat> excuse me. And that announcement is calling for a response. Because Santa's coming, all you kids better be good. Right? That, it's plain and simple. There's an announcement, and there's the call for kids to be good. And of course, because we have that wonderful announcement, our kids will never do what's wrong. Well, as we look at Revelation 14, there's actually a similarity between that Christmas song And what we find here, we find announcements that are calling for a response. This chapter is divided up in three parts that we saw last week. Verse 1, 6, and 14 all begin with the phrase, and I saw. So this chapter divides into three chunks. We're dealing with the second this morning where John sees three angelic messengers and hears one heavenly voice. So just like... During the Christmas time, we remember how the angels appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem and they announced the birth of Christ. Just as those angels made announcements then, so in the future, three angels will make announcements. And as you look at verse 6, it says, to those who dwell on the earth. Now, that's really fascinating to think about and imagine how would that happen? During this season, we think about the angels who spoke to the shepherds at Bethlehem. That would have been amazing to see. But here are angels who are going to talk to everybody. Before we get into thinking, how is it possible that angels could speak globally, we need to consider why is it that angels are going to be sent to make these kinds of announcements. We sang about it this morning. We see it said for us in three different verses this morning, in verse 7, verse 9, and verse 11. Kids, do you see the key term? It begins with a W. 
There is something that God wants from each one of us. There's something that God, who is the creator of all mankind, is worthy of. He is worthy of our worship. The question is, will the people of the earth at that time give God the glory that is due to Him? And by extension, the same is true today. Is God getting the glory that is due to Him from me? We'll see first in verses 6 and 7 that God calls for worship. The first angel declares the eternal gospel. Let's read it together in verse 6. Look at your Bibles, Revelation 14, verse 6. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. So here we see who needs to worship God. All must worship Him. The announcement is to everyone, every nation, every tribe, every language and people. And this is good news for all people. And you say, that sounds wonderful. But why is it that God is having to send angels to declare the gospel? I mean, aren't believers supposed to declare the gospel? Of course they are. But remember what has happened to those believers. By this time, we don't know how many, if any, are left to declare the gospel. We know in chapter 11 that the two witnesses were killed by the beast. We know from chapter 13 that the saints are conquered by the beast. So we don't know who's left. But we know that God is merciful. And this is a demonstration of God's mercy that just needs to strike us. We might think that God would say something like this. When He sees the world destroy all of His messengers, all the saints, we might think, well, God would say, I, you've, you've destroyed all my witnesses. That's it. No more hope. No more witnesses. It's done. I've had it with you. But even then... At that very dark time, God is going to send an angel to give the gospel to the world. That's just amazing. What's the angel going to say? Look at verse 7. And he said with a loud voice. He's in a place and speaks with such volume that everyone hears. This is what he says. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who has made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, that might strike us as odd just because in verse 6 it said that he was proclaiming the eternal gospel. But as we read verse 7, we don't hear anything about Christ's death and resurrection as we're taught in 1 Corinthians 15. But what we do hear the angel say is what the gospel calls for from everyone who receives it. You see, all need to worship God. All must fear Him. One man has said that God is sovereign, and man's happiness consists in recognizing God's authority. All must fear God. 
The angel's message is calling for the right response to God without which there is no salvation. The right response to God is to fear him, to take him seriously. And throughout this book, those who are God's people are called to be are called out to be those who fear him, who give him glory. That's the right response. Why is it right? Well, the hour is coming when all are going to be judged by him. Judgment's coming. Jesus said that in the letters, chapter 2, verse 23. I will give to each of you according to your deeds. Christ said the same in the Gospels, that he is coming and that he will judge. And to the one who might think, well, why does Jesus have the right to judge me? He has the right because all were made by him. And he owns everything that he makes. He has the right to do with what he makes what he pleases. And he has the right to expect of it what he desires. And I think we have the same kind of idea as well when it comes to the things we own. Children, I think you have that idea about your stuff. Because when your sibling plays with your stuff, you might not like that. Maybe you've seen someone else get really, really angry and cry when someone takes their toy. That's all to say, you have this sense that if it's yours, you own it, and you decide, and you can rightfully decide what gets to be done with it. And of course, adults, we have the same idea. We own cars, and we just don't think it's right for someone to walk into, onto our property, take our car, and drive around. They can't do that. This is my property. That's my car. You're not allowed to do that. Mine. And so God who made us, he is the one who owns us and expects from us glory. Isaiah 43 verse 7 says that we are created for his glory. And one day God is going to inspect what he expects of us. And he's going to do so of all mankind. And the angel tells us exactly what God expects of us. Fear Him, give Him glory, and worship Him. And remember what we learned in chapter 13. In chapter 13, verse 7, verse 8, we saw that the whole world worshipped not Christ, but they worshipped the beast, the Antichrist. So in contrast to that, God is calling for worship. And he goes even further to reveal what will happen to those who don't worship. So let's consider, secondly this morning, God not only calls for worship, but God warns of judgment, verses 8 through 11. We see the second and third angels are going to warn about judgment. Verse 8 says this, Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. So the second angel declares the fall of Babylon. That shows us that those who oppose God will be judged. Babylon stretches back in time all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Children, do you remember the Tower of Babel? That's right after the flood and Noah gets off the ark. Noah is instructed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They're supposed to spread out, but you get to chapter 11, and the people there say, we're going to stick together and make a name for ourselves. They defy what God had told them to do. 
And that kind of rebellion against God runs all the way through human history. And Psalm 2 summarizes it like this. The nations rage. They set themselves against God. They oppose the restrictions and expectations that God has set upon them. The world wants to be free of God. They want to be free of their maker. They don't even want to say he's their maker. They want to be able to determine what they want to be without having to submit to what God has made them to be. They don't want to submit to the fact that God has made them male and female. We live in a world today where people say they believe in God, but they really don't think that God made them. They really don't think that God is one day going to judge them. They think they can be their own boss. That is the thinking of the world. That is the thinking of Babylon that goes all the way back to Babel, the Tower of Babel. And God's word to them is quite plain. Babylon, the great, is fallen. Those who oppose God will be utterly destroyed. Just like the city of Babylon was destroyed years ago, so the world empire of the end times, which opposes God, is going to fall. And when the angel says of this city that everyone will know about in the end times, when the angel says that about the city, it is to motivate the people of the world to forsake Babylon, to forsake the spirit that opposes God. You have to remember that God is the one who is sending the angel. This is not a rogue angel who's doing whatever he wants. God sends this angel to declare the judgment on Babylon so that people will consider, ought we to worship the beast? They're supposed to worship God. You say, what will happen if they don't really listen to the warning? Well, that's what we find in verses 9 and 10. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark in his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. So we find the third angel declares the fate of those who worship the beast. See, those who worship the wrong thing will be punished. Those who worship the wrong thing will be punished. They are going to experience God's wrath in full measure. That's what verse 10 shows us they will drink of the wine of God's wrath. The imagery of wine here is supposed to be shocking. It would have been shocking to John's readers. Wine was almost always mixed two or three parts with water. So if you're thinking about that mathematically, wine was always more water than it was wine. Of course, that was to make the water drinkable. But what the image here is that the wine is unmixed. And this kind of wine at that time, given their technology, was possibly up to 12% alcoholic. 12%. And that kind of wine would have a powerful impact on the one who drank it. And so it is that the effect of God's wrath will be on mankind. As people today drown their sorrows in drink, so one day God will drown the world in his wrath. What's that going to be like? Verse 10. 
And he, that's the one who worships the beast, he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So they will be tormented in the lake of fire. And what we read here is this will be painful punishment. It talks about torment. No one likes to be tormented by their siblings. But what's here is completely different than that. It's not someone who's annoying. This is torment by fire. Those who worship the beast will be physically cast into the lake of fire. You've all seen fires before. If you go over to Mr. Baco's house, you'll be nice and warm because he keeps it nice and warm there with his wood fire. And if things go wrong, he has coal downstairs. He can get some coal for the fire. But what is the fuel for the fire of the lake of fire? The fuel for that fire is sulfur, brimstone. Brimstone melts at 239 degrees Fahrenheit, and it boils at 832 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. Brimstone is what God rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Brimstone is what Jude says will come upon those who indulge in sin. Jude says that Sodom and Gomorrah was but an example of what will come upon those who reject God. And this is a sober warning. Yet there's more to the punishment. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its mark, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So not only is this painful punishment, this is permanent punishment. We may wonder, well, how is that possible considering what we know about fire? Fire consumes. It burns up what's on fire until there's nothing left. That's how fire works. But the passage says that the smoke rises forever, showing that the fire is still burning. Furthermore, it says the torment is not stopping. There is no rest. Day or night, it's continual. It's permanent. To make it very simple, those who worship the beast and receive his mark will be punished in tormenting fire forever. And just to say, well, should we be nervous about that? I mean, should we really be nervous if something that is going to be imposed on us is somehow the mark of the beast? And then we're going to be tormented like this? I want you to know that the mark of the beast will be incredibly obvious. Everyone who worships the beast will get the mark. And everyone, not just the smart Christians, but all Christians, will refuse the mark of the beast. It'll be blatantly obvious, okay? So don't worry about certain things that are in the news, whether they're the mark of the beast. It's going to be more obvious than that. This message from God's angel is from God, and it's God revealing what will happen to those who choose to worship the beast instead of fearing him. And we look at the punishment and we think, that punishment is merciless. But the announcement beforehand is merciful. In mercy, God is calling all mankind to worship him alone. He's calling them to forsake their allegiances and their vain pursuits. 
God desires that people would come to him and ask for his mercy. Christ promised, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So we can't charge God with unkindness. He's telling us about it beforehand. Flee the wrath to come. So we look at these three angelic messengers that John saw, and their messages are plain and simple. It's a matter of, will you worship God alone? Will you fear Him? And of course, the saints do. Children, many of your mothers and fathers do. And of course, we might say, well, what about us? What ought we to do given the fact that we already fear the Lord? We worship the Lord. Well, God reveals exactly what He wants from His saints. We see thirdly this morning in verses 12 and 13 that God calls for endurance. God calls for worship. God warns of judgment. And here, for His people, He calls for endurance. A heavenly voice is going to promise blessedness to the faithful. Look at verse 12. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, for those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The saints must persevere. The saints are those who keep God's commandments. The saints are those who trust Christ and what Christ has said. If you wonder about what a Christian is, it is someone who lives by God's Word, especially when God's Word is in conflict with what the world says. When the world says you should take a shortcut or maybe you should pause what God has said, kind of erase it and we'll write something in for Him better, the saints will choose instead to trust what God has said. They go against the flow of the world and the saints persevere in direct relation to God's Word remaining their guiding light. So just let's consider that by way of application. Can you remember back this week when God's Word put light on your path? Can you remember when you were faced with a decision and you chose to walk in the light of God's Word? Can you recall having to side with what God said in contrast to what someone else around you said or the culture says for you to do. That's how Christians live. They are constantly being led by the Word of God. That's what saints who persevere do. And to be frank, that's hard work. They work hard for God today. But what we find is that God holds out a promise to them. John, who saw the three angels, he now hears a heavenly voice, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, are they, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. You see, the saints must persevere, and those who labor now are promised rest. God is holding out blessing to the saints with His call to endure. And God holds out rest to the saints who are labor today. And to make two things abundantly clear from from these words is first that Christ, that God is completely aware of the difficulty of the task of serving Him. He knows how hard it is to follow Christ. He knows how hard it is to serve Him. 
He knows what it's like to suffer and die because Christ suffered and died. So when Christ calls us to this kind of difficulty, He's not calling us to be a trailblazer. He's calling us to be a follower of Him. We're supposed to deny ourselves and follow Him. Know that firstly. Secondly, the future blessed rest of the saints is worth all the troubles of today. We sing this in so many songs, but just consider for a moment. How long will it take you in glory to realize that all the sacrifices you made on earth were worth it? It really won't take very long one day. When we think this is hard, consider what will you receive one day. Because that's what God holds out for you. What do we find in Revelation 14? We find something like the Christmas song, Santa Claus is coming to town. We find an announcement and a called for response. People think, well, Santa Claus is coming. I better be good if I want to get presents. And I think that a lot of people think that about Christianity. Christianity is those are the good people who try to do what's right. Actually, Christianity is about what the Bible says it's about. It's about what these angels one day will say, the announcements that they'll make and the call that they will make. They'll say that God is the creator and judge, that he deserves and demands the worship of all mankind. That's what Christianity is about. Will you, if you don't fear the Lord today, will you take him seriously Will you turn from your sin and worship Him? There might be someone who needs to do that today. But if you already know the Lord, if you already fear Him, then God calls you to endure for His sake and promises you rest from all the labors that you'll endure in this life. That's a great promise. That's a great God of mercy that we see in this passage. Let's pray. Father, we think of the Christmas carol as some kind of some kind of parenting tactic to have good kids, which really doesn't matter for much. But Father, when we think of the announcements of these angels, this word really matters. Father, we thank you for the grace that you've shown some of us that we have humbled ourselves and come to you asking for your mercy. We've feared you. We've denied ourselves and come and followed you. Father, we pray for anyone this morning who does not yet know you, who does not yet fear you. We pray that they would take these words seriously. They'd take them to heart and that they would run to you and know that they'll receive mercy. Father, we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.